And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. Eagle Whistler. Staples self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the incomparable Lisa Wolf, but she's under the weather, so my brother Vince Amari is pinch-hitting. In this hour, it's the Kraft Music Hall starring Al Jolson and special guest Edward G. Robinson from 1948. But first, it's Name That Tune. I will play short clips from popular Frank Sinatra songs and a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named Paul and my brother Vince will try to name that tune. Right, bro? Right. Say hello to Paul. Hi, Paul. How are you? Good, Vince. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Hi, Paul. How are you, bud? Good luck, Paul. Good, Carl. All right. Frank Sinatra. The boys all together yeah. for the first time. Frank Sinatra. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got brown eyes, but he was all blue eyes. Yes, he was blue eyes. All right, so uh, chairman of the board, too, right? I think they yep, called him that chairman as well. Of the board. So uh, here's how it works. I'm going to just play a little uh, portion of a song, and you guys just shout it out, and we'll see who gets it first. Are you ready? Ready? You ready. guys? All right, here's the first song. It lingered Summer there. Breeze. Fly Me to the Moon? What'd you say, bro? Summer Breeze. And walk with Wrong. Me. Summer breeze. Wrong. All summer long, we sang a song, and then we strolled that golden So close. Sand. Very close, but it's not summer breeze. Summer wind. Summer, summer wind. wind. Paul yes, just got it. Paul yes. got it. Yeah. Summer wind. Yeah. Here's for you, bro. Why would they say summer breeze? I don't know. Maybe you use Febreze. Good job, Paul. All right. Paul's on the board. Paul is on the board. All right, that's the uh, that's good. All right, uh, Frank Sinatra, "Summer Wind." Man, one of my favorite Sinatra tunes. Yeah. All right, here's a 1965 release. We'd hide from the lights. Oh, oh, on the village green. When I was young. When I was 17. It was a very good year. Yeah, that's Paul it. Paul got it. That's it. Very good year. Good job, Paul. Let's listen to a few seconds. What a great tune. Wow. Mm. And that was 1965? Yeah, when 1965. I, was I guess it was a very good year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very good year. All right. 
Very good. So Paul is up. Two zip, bro. Two zip. Oh, man. All right. Here's uh, song number three, 1980 release. New York, New York. New York, New York. My bro got that one. Here's for Paul. Sorry, Paul. I'm king of the hill. Top of the heap. Oh, yeah. Bay's little town blue. Town blue. They're melting away. All right, so my brother has one. Uh, Paul has two. Okay, so... uh, Tight game here. Tight game. All right. Here is the, uh, we have five songs in total. So here is the fourth song. This is a 1969 release. And now the end my way. Is near. All right. Paul's yeah, got it. So Good I job, Paul. The final, final curtain. curtain. Who sings better, bro? Me or Frank Sinatra? My friend, I'll say it That's clear. a tough one. It's a tough one. I'll state my it's like a tie. Would you say it's like a tie? Yeah, it's a tie, all right. Which I'm certain. <laughs> I've, lived I've lived a life that's full. You know, when I, I think it's my way. Yeah. When I step on the scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what happens when I step on the scale? It breaks. It says, hey, one, one at, at a time. time. One at a time. My way. That was Rodney Dangerfield. One at a time. That's one right. at a time. I loved him. So Paul, I no respect. No respect at no all. Respect None at whatsoever. All. So Paul has three. And uh, I have so, bro, you're, one. You, are, you can't win this game. I'm just I'm sorry to no. tell you. It's uh, it's not looking good for you, bro. Ah. All right, here is song number five. This is a 1964 release. You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. I'm bad on titles. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait what about your underwear? I could sing it, but I don't know the night, name of it. Wait till you see that sunshine day. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come. Hey. The best is yet there you go. to come, and babe, won't it be fine? Won't it be fine? Best is yet to come, come the day you're mine. I'm thinking of touring the company, uh, doing uh Yeah, you sound like Frank Natsohatra. <laughs> doing a Frank Sinatra revival. What do you think of that? Yeah. Think I could yeah, and, and Vince quit. was Vince was being perfectly frank there. <laughs> yeah, and don't quit your day job, bro. So you don't think I could pack the, uh, like, the uh, Wrigley Field? You could Field. pack the arena, yeah, if you're giving money away. Yeah, if I, I would give people money to come see me. Well, that might work. And I'd be like, look, I, like, I, I packed the whole stadium. And when you want them to leave, you start singing. Right. Right? Take out a second mortgage and third mortgage. <laughs> when I want them to leave, I just make like a tree and leave. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No. No. Doesn't yeah, even doesn't even get a rim shot. Doesn't even get a rim shot. It's it's so bad. No rim shot on that one. So Paul does it again. 
He uh, pulled it out, three yeah. to two. He squeaked it out. Yep, that means you're getting a uh, four CD set, Twilight Zone radio dramas, Paul. Enjoy that, my friend. You're welcome. You're a great player. Bro, you're pretty darn good, too. Yeah, not bad. Take not care, bad. Paul. Good job. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Paul. When we come Thanks. back, it is the Craft Music Hall with Al Jolson and Edward G. Robinson. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. It's so nice having you here, bro. It's really, uh, really great having um, my big brother here with me on the program. So thanks for joining me. You're welcome, bro. My pleasure. I like like coming here and... Hanging with your audience. Yeah, Very it's nice. nice to have you. I hope Lisa's feeling better. She sounded better today. I talked to her, and she's like, I'll be there next week. I'll be there, my pretty. Oh, she's threatening you again, eh? Yeah, she's threatening me. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Craft Music Hall. I bet you you can't guess who the sponsor is. Yeah, right. Uh, Came to radio way, way back in 1933 and lasted all the way until 1949, so long run. And there were uh, several different hosts of the Kraft Music Hall. For a while, Paul Whiteman, uh, orchestra band leader, was the host. Then for uh, most of its run, Bing Crosby, from 1936 until 1946, was the host, but then he left in 1946 to host his own series called Philco Radio Time. Bet you can't guess who the sponsor of that mm, series was. Tough one. Yeah. And uh, then there was like a series of um, short-lived hosts, but then in 1947, you know who took over? Al Jolson. And he did a great job from 1947 until the end of the run. And then Jolson's pianist and sidekick, Oscar Levant, added sarcastic wit and charm to the show as well. It did make a move to television for a little while, and um, but on radio was really where it really, um, it really did its best work. And this is a broadcast from October 7th, 1948. It's the um, Al Jolson welcomes his uh, very special guest, Edward G. Robinson. Here now is part one of the Craft Music Hall. This is the Craft Music Hall, starring Al Jolson with Oscar Levant, Lou Bring, and his orchestra and chorus, and our guest. Edward G. Robinson. So keep on looking for a bluebird and listening for its song. Whenever April a shower folks, this is Al Jolson of the Craft Musical, and I'm going to sing a little song that if you haven't heard it before, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Baby face, you've got the cutest little all, you've got a baby face. 
There's not another one could take your place. Baby face, my poor heart is jumping. You sure start as I'm off, baby face. I'm up in heaven when I'm in your on embrace. I didn't need a shove, cause I just fell in love with your pretty raw, you baby face. Baby face, you got the cute all, you got a baby face. There's not another one could take your place, ah, oh, baby face. My poor heart is jumping, you sure started some off, baby face. I'm up in heaven when I'm in your fond embrace. You're just as sweet as can be. You got me up a tree with your pretty eyes, oh, you baby face. Baby face, ah, you got to go. Oh, you got a baby face. There's not another one could take your place, baby face. My poor heart is jumping. You sure have started up, baby face. I'm up in heaven when I'm in your fond embrace. It's like a breath of spring when Jolie sings about your baby face. <laughs> Next week, folks, Enzio Pinza. Oh, no, really? Enzio Pinza? I thought I'd mention him in case our program ran over. Yeah. That's swell. <laughs> But no kidding aside, really, Al, in all my experience, I've never heard anyone sing like you. Thanks, Ken, but uh, just how much experience have you had? Well, I've been in radio a long time. I've worked with Edgar Bergen, Bing Crosby. Yeah, I know, and for the last year, you've been working for me. Mm-hmm. When things are a little slow, you take anything. You know how. <laughs> now, look, Ken, don't uh, be taking this job for granted. You haven't even taken the announcer's test yet, you know. Oh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Jolson. Yes, sir. I got an A in Velveeta and B-plus in Cheddar. I did. <laughs> I guess you'll stay. Well, if you... <laughs> that was just a quiz. But uh, this is going to be the final exam. What's this? Come on. Read, read, read this little slip of paper. Right Go there, ahead. You mean yeah, let me see if you can do it. Yeah, well, right there, right there. Yeah. All right, let's see. The seething sea seetheth, and the seething sea subsideth. Many men must munch much mush. How's that? that? Yeah, it's pretty good, Ken. But you should have emphasized many men must munch... Mm, munch much mush. Yeah. <laughs> You see, to do that, you got you got to be to do that. You got to be a real mushmouth, you know. <laughs> well, I thought you were superior mushmouth. <laughs> I seem to be the best at everything. <laughs> Excuse me, Ken. I, I see Oscar Levance at the piano. Right on over there. Pardon. Oh, Oscar, Oscar, pardon me. Yeah. What are you playing? Nocturne for a mushmouth. <laughs> No, Oscar, really, I, uh, I, uh, I'm not kidding. What were you playing? Nothing special. I was just sitting here listening to you talk, wondering when you'd stop. What's the matter? Is there something wrong with the way I talk? No, I was just reminded of what Cicero wrote in his orations. He said, old age is by nature rather talkative. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but Cicero lived 2,000 years ago. And don't say he was referring to me either. <laughs> Gee, Al, I'm impressed. How do you know about Cicero? Oh, Oscar, I, I've been doing a lot of reading lately, really. Since when is Cicero in the racing form? Now, wait a minute. Just a moment. That ain't all I read. Then what have you been reading? Periodicals? Sure, I read everything. Periodicals, commas, question marks. <laughs> Deep words don't hold no premonition for me. 
Why, I'm halfway through the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, when you were looking through the encyclopedia, did you find anything about Rachmaninoff? Yes, I did, Strange. It says there, Sergei V. Rachmaninoff. What does the V stand for? V stands for Vasilovich, of course. <laughs> Bravo. And you a musician, you paskudnik, you. <laughs> well, anyway, he was born in 1873. And one of his most important works was the Rachmaninoff Concerto which he especially arranged for Oscar Levant and the Kraft Cheese Company. Al, did it really say that? No. But when I quote the encyclopedia, I like to improve upon it a little bit. Oscar, just a minute. Pardon me for interrupting you. Do you happen to know a tree in the meadow? No, I live in a hotel. (laughs) (coughs) 
Never mind, Oscar. I, I, I feel like singing a tree in a meadow. So make like a meadow, will you? Believe me, if I were a meadow, you wouldn't be a tree in it. <laughs> There's a tree in the meadow With a stream drifting by And carved upon that tree I see I love you till I die I will always remember The love in your eyes The day you carved upon that tree I love you till I die But further on down lover's lane a silhouette I see I know you're kissing Someone else I wish That it were me By that tree In the meadow My thoughts Always lie and wherever you go, you always know I love you till I die. There you have another. Radio episode directly from the master recording, Al Jolson, the Craft Music Hall, broadcast from October 7th, 1948. We're all about quality at uh, Hollywood 360. That is our signature quality. And, you know, I love it. I actually love it when Mike, he'll call me during the week sometimes. And he'll say, hey, give me a call. I'll call Mike. And he'll say, you know, one of the shows that you picked out to air I don't think it. I don't think it makes it. I don't think it's up to snuff. You know, because even a master transcription disc could, uh, you know, the 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 sound that comes off of it always isn't like this. You know, so we'll switch it out. We want our listeners to have the best quality each and every week, and we'll get back to Hollywood 360 after this short break. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and & Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of the radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour holiday 
Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. The digital links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities whenever you'd like. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. The new issue of Good Old Days magazine is uh, out. That's right. The November-December issue is out. So hopefully you have it and you're enjoying it. Now, Good Old Days is the magazine that remembers the best of times It's published six times per year. Each full 8.5 by 11 issue features dozens of nostalgic stories, vintage photographs, home cooking recipes, original illustrations, quizzes, vintage advertisements, much, much more. It is the magazine that best aligns with this radio show, Hollywood 360. I know you will love it. If you're not a subscriber, you really should consider it. They uh, have a very special offer for our listeners. If you are a Hollywood 360 listener, you can go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com, and scroll down to the Good Old Days banner. When you click that, it takes you to a special page that is exclusively for our listeners. And you can uh, receive a two-year subscription, 12 issues. It is regularly $71.88 but you as a Hollywood 360 listener only pay $18. That is a 75% savings, plus you'll receive a free gift. So 75% off. You will love the magazine. comes every other month, and I know you will love Good Old Days. It's, uh, it's a tremendous magazine. And I do write an article each issue, and uh, that article is about classic radio. And then you can click on a special uh, link and hear... An episode. So if I'm writing about, let's say, suspense, you can uh, then click and listen to an episode of suspense and read the uh, read the article. So I think you'll love it. Go to our website, Hollywood360Radio.com. Click on the Good Old Days banner, and uh, the rest is up to you. We would love it if you subscribed. Okay, we are going to. Uh, we're in the middle of listening to the Craft Music Hall. Al Jolson, he was great. He was uh, one of the world's greatest entertainers. He was in a lot of movies. He had his own radio show for a while. And uh, not much on television. I think he was like when TV came along, he was sort of ready to retire. But he did a great job uh, with the recordings. He had many, many hit songs. And this broadcast from is from October 7th, 1948. His special guest is Edward G. Robinson, Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm Average Robinson. Mm -hmm, Yeah, right. Here is the conclusion now to the Craft Music Hall. Oh, Oscar, that's beautiful. Say, by any chance, Oscar, when you were just playing that Brahms lullaby, could it have been for my baby? As a matter of fact, Al, it was. Yeah. I always think about little Azer. Oh, that's fine. I was wondering, why don't you enroll him in a college? It's customary, you know. Oscar, I don't care if my baby goes to college or not. And you know something? I don't mean this for flattery, but after hearing you play, well, I know musicians can do no wrong. They're just too busy for anything else. Guess you never heard about a fellow named Artie Shaw. (laughs) 
I'm still going ahead and playing little Ace's life musically. <laughs> I can just see him when he's two years old. He'll come toddling in my room, and I'll sing to him. When there are gray skies, I don't mind the gray skies. I'll still have you, Sonny boy. Then one day you'll meet a girl, and he'll carry her books home from school. If he's your son, he'll be carrying her bank books. <laughs> Never mind, Oscar. And now Asa is going through the puppy love stage. That's a romantic moment, the first time a boy says, I love you as I never loved before. I love you as I loved you. When you were sweet When you were sweet Sixteen Even if he is your son, love can't take up 24 hours a day. <laughs> That's subtle, and I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Seriously, if he's going to be a musician, isn't it time he studied music? You, you, you got something there, Oscar. I'll send him over to you for piano and insult lessons. <laughs> Good O. The first lesson will go like this. Yeah. And then the second lesson goes like this. Wait a minute. How can little Asa play that well on his second lesson? Larry Park's son will be playing for him. <laughs> well, about this time, Asa Jr. has outgrown his puppy love and is thinking seriously about girls. He meets the granddaughter of an old Southern friend of mine, Colonel Galbraith. And her name is... Liza, Liza, skies are gray But when you smile on me All the clouds will roll away right. <laughs> A little neurotic uh -huh. uh, <laughs> Don't you think it will be more likely That Asa will sing I want some girls just like the girls that married zero I didn't marry that many. <laughs> Asa Jr. is now in college, and one day he gets me on the phone and he says, Pop, I need money. So I say, listen, Asa. The moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. But Asa, Asa says, Pop, what'll I do when you are far 
away and I need move. What do I do? The poor kid. So I suppose you break down and send him a check. No, I don't want to spoil him. But when he's married and settled down, that's the time I'm going to give him a real, real gift. Probably an album of your latest recordings. Well, that'll come in handy, because the next thing we know, Little Asa will be on the Kraft television show with old Matty Milnick and Milton the Old Lug singing Chinatown. Chinatown, my Chinatown, where the lights are low, hearts that know no other land, drifting to and fro, dreamy, dreamy Chinatown. Down the night so brown Heart seems light and life seems bright In dreamy Chinatown Chinatown Where the lights are low Hearts that know no other land Drifting to and fro Dreamy, dreamy, oh, you Chinatown Almond eyes so brown Heart seem light Life seems bright In dreamy, dreamy China Dreamy, dreamy China 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 Hello, Oscar. Hello, Eddie. Got your machine gun with you? No, 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 no. I'm just playing Edward G. Robinson tonight. I'm glad you're here, Eddie, because Al is sure looking forward to your visit. Uh, where is he, Oscar? Something new has happened to Al. Yeah? He's so scared of you. He's in his dressing room, shaking. Well, what's new about Jolson shaking? <laughs> Well, Eddie, he's expecting you to be like you are in pictures. Oh, you mean I've got to pretend I'm the uh, tough little Caesar gangster just to please the old boy, huh? Please do it, Eddie. Do it for Joey. He loves to play cops and robbers. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's amazing for an old guy like that. Listen, he's not as old as he's cracked up to be. <laughs> he's just cracked up. <laughs> there he is. Uh, here goes, Oscar. <gasps> Well, so there you are, Jolson. You stool pigeon, you rat, you yellow-bellied dog, etc., etc., etc. Welcome to the music hall, Eddie. <laughs> what music hall? Where's the music? I've been singing. I still say, where's the music? <laughs> but Eddie, I, I, I just sang some about Chinatown, and the people seem to love that. Oh, idea. shut up. What <laughs> are you getting away on the program? Well... <laughs> That gives me an idea. I'd like to give away Oscar LaVant. Now, shut up, see? Eddie, what makes you so tough? Well, it's the cigars I smoke. That's what makes me tough. You know what my cigars are made of? No, I don't. Well, they take the tender senator leaves and wrap them around a man who knows tobacco best. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, will you please do me a favor? What is it? You know, I, 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 I saw the picture Key Largo, and I want to know, what did you whisper to Lorraine Bacall? 
Who wants to know? Hmm? Hmm? Who wants to know? Humphrey Bogart. Bogart? How can you say Humphrey Bogart and Edward G. Robinson on the same breath? I don't know myself. As a rule, I'm a little short-winded. You know? Bogart? Nothing but a cheap killer. You know, I don't think about killing all the time. No? I'm different from the other mugs. Now, you take the summer. I went to France, Switzerland, Italy. Eddie, Eddie, what did you do in Switzerland? Pushed a couple of people off the Alps. <laughs> There's no need asking if you had a good time because if you pushed now, a couple shut of... shut up, shut up, Joseph. What do you let me do the talking? All I had was... Look, come here, come here now. Don't go away. Maybe you'd be interested in some uh, hot paintings. Hot paintings? Yeah. Hot I, oil? I got a Michelangelo, a Rodin, a Whistler, a Rembrandt, and two covers from the Police Gazette. <laughs> Whose picture's on the Police Gazette? You and uh, Lillian Russell in tights. <laughs> Never wore tights in my life. Hey, uh, Jolson, uh, look, uh, how'd you like to take a gander at Rembrandt's marriage to Samson? You know the story, don't you? No. Yeah, uh, well, uh, Samson was the strong man with all the hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. People used to look at him and his wife and ask, which one has the Tony? <laughs> come here, come here, Charlie. What are you trying to do, be funny? No. I got a good mind to rub you out. Now, wait a minute, Eddie. You're just kidding, ain't you? You think so, huh? Come on, now, turn around. That's it. See this gun? Well, I can't unless I turn around again. Well, never mind. Take my word for it. I got a gun. Eddie, please don't scare me like that. Honestly, I'm not as young as I used to be. You were never as young as you used to be. <laughs> but you used to be. Stop the murder! Stop the murder! Gee, new programs spring up all the time. Now, don't interfere, LeVant, will you? I'm bumping off Jolson. Eddie, please don't. Eddie, please. Okay, I'll give you a sporting chance. LeVant, throw Jolson up in the air. I want to shoot at him. Oscar. Oscar, you're not, you're not going to stand here and see him shoot me, are you? No, of course not. I'll go outside till it's all over. Oscar, tell him not to do it. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm the closest thing to it they have. <laughs> Oscar, for everything we've meant to each other, please, don't let him kill me. Please, Oscar, please. Hey, Eddie, you better, hmm? you better lay off. The joke's going too far. Well, all right, all right, Oscar. Now, now look, Al, uh, I was only kidding. The whole thing was just a joke. Just a joke? <laughs> yeah, that's all it was. Just, just a, a joke? joke. <laughs> well, why'd you tell me so soon? The first chance I get in two years to act without Larry Parks. <laughs> Are you listening, Harry Cohn? <laughs> I can act. I can act. Put me in a picture with Rita Hayworth. Put me any place with Rita Hayworth. <laughs> Let me show you a piece of acting. Get this. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. You can resolute and resolute till the cows come home. <laughs> but if any of you men touch a hair of that boy's head, your soul will burn in eternal fire, or my name ain't Tillman Joy. Oscar, why did you do that? <laughs> I had to, Eddie. He was such a lousy actor. <laughs>
Saturday when you do the weekend shopping, it's a very smart idea to get plenty of Kraft's famous Velveeta. This nutritious, smooth-mounting cheese food is one of your best buys in the food stores today because the price is down and because Velveeta is a bargain in nutrition. It's a protein food, a main dish food. And Golden Velveeta melts so smoothly, combines so perfectly with other food, it helps you use up the leftovers, too. You see, delicious Velveeta really helps you save money three ways. So tomorrow, a good investment at the food store is the two-pound Velveeta loaf for snacks, sandwiches, and most important of all, for cooking. Your folks will go for money-saving main dishes when they're rich with Golden Velveeta. Folks, the song I'm going to sing now is an expression of my love for my family and my home. I call it In Our House. In our house We greet the morning sun In our house We have our share of fun Look in and you'll know why the hours seem to fly until the day is done. And in our house, we have some friends drop in. In our house, we play a little gin. While someone on the floor you should have met before looks up. With his big grin And in the quiet of the night A heart may shed a tear or two In time it turns out quite all right We know our dreams can all come true in our house The joys that we know of For all these We thank him up above We go our little ways And fill the fleeting days With the one we love In our house In our Fill the fleeting days with a one we love in our hearts. Good night, folks. Starring Lana Turner, Gene Kelly, and June Allison. Edward G. Robinson as soon as she's in the Paramount picture tonight has a thousand eyes. This is Ken Carpenter saying goodnight. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That is the Kraft Music Hall, October 7th, 1948. Al Jolson in the first song was Baby Face. Hey, I got some pretty little baby face. I, I can't do it like he did it, though, bro. 
guest Edward G. Robinson. Uh, the cast did the life story of uh, Little uh, Asia, told uh, in music. Al Jolson, Oscar Levant, Lou Bring in his orchestra, Ken Carpenter. Boy, I tell you, that Ken Carpenter, he was good with uh, building things. You, oh, know, yeah. you know what I'm saying, yeah. bro? Oh, yeah. And uh, NBC broadcast sponsored by Kraft Cheese and Velveeta. You know, uh, whenever, um, it reminds me, whenever any of these shows are sponsored by Kraft, Lisa Wolf, who has a master's degree, one of her master's uh, is in, she has two master's degrees, and one of them is in advertising, and she had a big, big job. This is a true story, bro. She had a big, big job at one of the Chicago agencies. I'm not sure if it was BD&O or one of the big, big, maybe it was um, J. Walter Thompson. Was it J. Walter Thompson, Mike? I think so. It might have been, yeah. And you know what her um, her account was? Kraft Philadelphia brand cream cheese. Yeah. And wow. she was like the head of it. And I said to her, "Did you ever have you ever tasted Kraft, um, you know, Philadelphia brand cream cheese?" She said, "No, she'd never had." I said, "Well, how could you be the head of the the marketing of that product if you never?" She's like. I just was good at my job. I didn't need to taste it. How could you? How could you? Right? Just curiosity would make me want right. You have to like it. at least taste that, yeah, right? Even if you don't like, she it. doesn't eat cheese. She doesn't no. eat cheese. No, that's pretty no. cheesy. <laughs> it is cheesy of her. Uh, anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed Craft Music Hall with Al Jolson. Good broadcast. Uh, a lot of great music on there as well. All right. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more of Hollywood 360. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. The great Adam West there. And uh, you know what, bro? In our next hour, we're going to have a great detective episode. Howard Duff starring as Sam Spade, Detective 1948 broadcast. We're also going to play Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? The Music Edition. Now, I will play Billy Joel songs for you, and then I'm going to ask you something about the song, and you're going to tell me if that statement is real or if it is ridiculous. How many are you going to get out of, uh, let me see, how many songs? Uh, Five songs. How many are you going to get right? I'll going to get three. All right. We'll see. See you soon. And now for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man in front you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. <laughs> Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> guys, guys, guys! Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, 
and classic radio shows. My co-host is the illustrious Lisa Wolf. She is under the weather. And my crabby brother, Vince, who has not been that crabby tonight, is my co-host. In this hour, Howard Duff stars as Detective Sam Spade, license number 137596 from 1948. But it's time now for Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous, the music edition. I will play clips from famous Billy Joel songs and provide a statement about each song. And my brother's job is to guess if that statement is real or ridiculous while you play at home. All right, bro? Got it. Okay. So it's self-explanatory? Yes. Or Terry? (laughs) Self-explanatory? Right. (laughs) So, uh, all right. So uh, here we go. Folks, play at home. See how you do. Keep, Keep score. Here is the first Billy Joel song, 1977 release. Don't go changing to try to please me. You never let me down before. Mm-hmm. Don't imagine. You know the song? I do. What is it? Familiar. I don't know the title. Uh, and I don't see you. Just the way you are. I yes, know. just the way you are. Yeah. Right. But that's not how you win the game. I'm going to give you a statement now. Well, I plan on winning anyway. All right. Well, if you get, listen, a winning score is three out of five. So, right. all right. So here's your oh, first. Oh, and don't worry. Carl is not normally that good no, at this I'm, game either. I'm terrible at this game, bro. Right. Terrible. All right, here we go. So statement number one. Thanks for reminding me, Mike. Appreciate no you. <laughs> Appreciate you in the peanut gallery there. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. First statement is Joel, uh, Billy Joel, has stated that the melody and chord progression for this song came to him while he was on a cross-country flight from New York City to Los Angeles. Is that real or is that ridiculous? That is absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous? Absolutely. All right. Without a doubt. You're right, bro. It is ridiculous. You you said that with a lot of conviction. I know, because I know what he was doing when he wrote this song. What was he doing? Taking a bath. Nope. He was dreaming. He came to him while he was dreaming. Yeah, he was sleeping in the tub, taking a is bath. Is that what like Mike does? Yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> that film I got of him with the, the bubble bath. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to see the film, but I want to have it for blackmail purposes. Maybe you're confused that it wasn't me in the tub. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. Someone that looks like Mike. All right. So, uh, hey, he's up. He's uh, he's on the board. He's on I should the board. while I'm ahead. You should. Uh, all right. Song number two, 1978 Billy Joel release. She can kill with a smile, she can wound with her eyes And she can ruin your faith with her casual lies And she only reveals what she wants you to see She hides like a child, but she's always a woman to me Right, always a woman to me Good tune I mean, he is great, great artist Okay, so here's your statement. It's either real or ridiculous. 
Now, this song is a love song that Joel wrote for his wife, Elizabeth Weber. Is that real or is that ridiculous? I'm going to say you're probably going to go with two ridiculouses in a row. So that's my only... uh, that's it. My only theory on why I'm going to say it's ridiculous. All right. So you say that's ridiculous? Yeah. Ah, it's real. So she was also Joel's manager and was a tough and savvy negotiator who could wound with her eyes or steal like a thief, but would always, uh, but would never give in. Many thought she was unfeminine. But to Joel, she was always a woman. The two eventually divorced in 1982. But yeah, it was about his wife, Elizabeth Weber. I thought he was married to Christy Brinkley. Well, this was his first wife. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. Okay. That's uh, So you're one out of two so far. All right. Here is song number three, 1973 Billy Joel release. Nine o'clock on a Saturday A regular crowd shuffles in There's an old man sitting next to me All right, so you know this song. It's one of his signature songs, The Piano Man. All right, so this song is based on Joel's real-life experiences as a lounge musician in Los Angeles from 1972 to 1973. Is that real or is that ridiculous? I'm going to say real. All right. Hey. That is real. In the song, Joel describes various characters, including a bartender named John and a real estate novelist named Paul, all based on real-life individuals that he knew while he was a lounge singer. That's and a musician in 1972 and 73 in Los Angeles. That's, re- that's so, interesting. Very good. So two out of three so far. Not right. bad. Right. All right. Song number four. Here is a Billy Joel 1977 release. So that is Moving Out, also known as Anthony's Song, 1977 Billy Joel tune. Very good tune. All right, here's your statement. Joel wrote this song about a friend he grew up with named Anthony. Is that real or is that ridiculous? I'm going to say ridiculous on that one. Are you? Yeah. Okay. It is ridiculous. That's my three. I said I'd get three. According to Joel, Anthony is not a real person, but rather every Irish, Polish, and Italian kid trying to make a living in the U.S. That's what that was all about. Okay. All right. So you got three out of four so far. Man, my brother's good at this game. Unlike your brother. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's song number five, our last song. Uh... 1983 Billy Joel release. Uptown girl. Yep. Okay, 
Joel, here's your statement. Joel began writing the song about his then-girlfriend, Al McPherson, but it ended up also becoming about his soon-to-be wife, Christy Brinkley. Is that real or is that ridiculous? Real. You say real on that one? Real. Okay. It is real. Joel was originally going to call the song Uptown Girls with a plural, but then dropped the S. But it's absolutely true. He, he began writing it about his then-girlfriend, Al McPherson, but it also became about his real-life wife, Christy Brinkley. So my, my brother got four out of five. Wow, that's good. That is really too that's bad. You, people can't game. see me. I'd be bowing right now and, you know. Yeah. Getting all my accolades. Well, Man, really good, bro. I'm very impressed. Yeah, thank Honestly, you. very impressed. It's a guessing game. All right. Great job. When we come back, it's the adventures of Sam Spade Detective. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Would you agree with me on this one, bro, that Sam Spade Detective, one of the best detective shows on the air? Without a doubt. Yeah, man, I love this show. Howard Duff was incredible as Sam Spade, and uh, the detective character was created, of course, by Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon, and... uh, Spade was hard-boiled. He had uh, cold detachment, keen eye for detail, and he was determined to achieve his own justice. Humphrey Bogart played Sam Spade in the 1941 film The Maltese Falcon, which led to the 1946 radio series that was produced and directed by Bill Spear. He was also the producer of Suspense. And he brought in newcomer Howard Duff, a very deep voice guy, great actor, to play Sam Spade. His secretary, Effie Perrine, was played by Lorene Tuttle. And uh, Dashiell Hammett was not really associated with the radio show at all. They just, uh, you know, sent him a check to use the rights. And uh, Hammett also created two other detectives for radio, the Fat Man and the Thin Man. And then uh, Steve Dunn, the Fat Man and the Thin Man. Steve Dunn also played um, Sam Spade after Howard Duff left the role. But... We have a broadcast for you now, July 25th, 1948. It's called the Mad Scientist Caper. It's sponsored by Wild Root Cream Oil. Here's part one now of The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. The non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Mad Scientific Detective number 137596. Sam, no matter what anyone says, I'll stand by you. You're nothing of the sort. Not scientific? Of course not. You're two-fisted. Well, thanks, Effie. And that ain't all, Effie. I was actually mistaken for a convolutional melancholiac. Oh, Sam, are you all right now? Wrong diagnosis, Angel. It turned out to be melancholia catatonica. Oh, you poor darling. What is that? Well, it's a thing where you lie motionless and silent with fixed eyes and indifference to surroundings, unquote. 
Sam, what happened to you? What hospital are you in? Can I bring you anything? No, Effie, I am now at large. Pull down the blinds, check the corridors for men in little white coats, and set a bottle in the window if the coast is clear. Oh. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the mad scientist caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. Shh. Come in, Sam. The coast is clear. Where are you? Why is it so dark in here? Well, I had to put the lights out. The blind's stuck. I couldn't get it down. The heat's off, Effie. Let there be light. Oh, oh, I'm so glad. Now, let me look at you. Don't look at me like that and stop whispering. Oh, Sam. Did you get me all upset like that just for a joke? It's no joke, sweetheart. You really sick? Yeah, just sick of some of the types I made in this business. Oh, that. Uh, date uh, July 25, 1948, to Detective Lieutenant Dundee, homicide detail, San Francisco Police, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596, subject, the mad scientist caper. I worry so. Ah, dear Dundee, he uh, looked like a mad scientist, and that's exactly what he was. His eyes had a wild gleam in them, his hair was a wild tangle, and he was wearing a wild assortment of clothing that looked as if they'd been slept in in shifts. He leaned across the desk at me and said, They have stolen my secret formula. They have? Gee, that's too bad. Oh, you think I'm crazy? I don't know yet, I just met you. My name is Raymond Fox. Does that mean anything to you? Raymond Fox, uh, yeah, I think it does, but I don't quite remember what. I invented the helioscope. Helioscope. No, that wasn't it. I also synthesized hydroxylamophotocraniton. That was it? Yes, but unfortunately, production costs were prohibitive. Uh-huh, but you didn't let that discourage you. Oh, no, 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 indeed. You see, after a brief illness, I was back in my laboratory perfecting my greatest contribution to science, what may prove to be the greatest contribution of science to humanity. I call it Penetron. Penetron. That is what they have stolen, the secret formula for Penetron. Penetron, huh? Now, uh... What exactly is Penetron, Mr. Fox, and who are they? Uh, well, Penetron is a plastic with a molecular structure which repels atomic radiation more efficiently than lead, yet weighs less than aluminium. Oh, that. Do you realize the significance of this? Well, uh... And imagine, imagine a motor no larger than a cigar box with a power potential that even I don't believe, but they do. Who's they? Grierson Enterprises. Now, how do I know this? When I applied to the patent office to protect my discovery, I received this letter. Here, go on. Read it for yourself. Uh, Commissioner of Patents, Washington, D.C. Dear Mr. Fox, your application for patent on formula designated under the trade name Penetron is hereby rejected. Uh Ah, you see. Both formula and trade name, together with descriptive material identical to yours, have been registered by Mr. Albert Grierson, Grierson Enterprises, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Very truly yours, George Sherman, acting deputy assistant commissioner. There, there, there. You, You see? 
Uh, yes. You don't need a detective, Mr. Fox. What you need is a good patent lawyer. Lawyer? I have one. A legal ball of fire named Roscoe Manning. You know this scoundrel? Yeah, he's got an okay reputation. And I am paying for it. $3,000 in retainers. And now he tells me he can do nothing. Insufficient evidence, he says. What is this outfit, Grierson Enterprises? Yeah, a snare and a delusion with, with rented furniture, unscientific ventilation, and dirty work at the switchboard. Mm-hmm. How did they get hold of your formula? Well, it must have been while I was ill. They came and took it away. Out of your laboratory? Oh, well, what does it matter where? I've got to start someplace. Start with the man. I promise you he's a crook. If he steals from me, he's stolen from others. If we can prove that, then I have a case. Well, I can't promise you anything, Mr. Fox, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, uh, will $100 be enough for your retainer? Too much. 25 now, and the balance if I can do anything for you. I doubted if I could even earn the 25, but if he wanted to gamble, it was okay with me. The officers of Grierson Enterprises were pretty much as he described them a beautiful front, especially at the switchboard. Gerson Enterprises, good afternoon. No, Mr. Gerson's out of town. No, I don't know when to expect it. I'll be right with you. That's good news. Gerson Enterprises? No, he is not. No, I do not, and he doesn't want to talk to you in any case, Mr. Manning. Oh, if it would just stop. Can't you shut it off? I might as well. Nobody seems to believe me anyway. You aren't looking for him, too, I hope. Oh, please, just tell me you're selling magazines or collecting salvage or just anything. My card. Oh, detective. Mr. Gerson hasn't done anything, has he? That's what I want to find out. My client says he swiped the secret formula. Oh, not that maniac. You don't look the type. You know he's mad, don't you? Maybe yes, maybe no. Personally, I'm crazy about money. Mad money, pin money, or dirty money. Uh, your employer didn't happen to leave any lying around, did he? No, but he has a charge account at a bar downstairs in the building, and it's nearly 5 o'clock. Could you cross-examine me there? I thanked her as gallantly as I could under the circumstances. She said, wait here, I won't be a minute. And while she was gone, I made a quick frisk of the office. The file cabinet was empty. Grierson's desk contained nothing but two unsharpened pencils, tobacco crumbs, a rubber band, some rusty paper clips, an old gas bill, a glass ampule, broken, labeled sodium denadrine for intravenous injection, and a business card from one Roscoe Manning, attorney at law. I stuck the card in my pocket, went back to the switchboard, and in less time than it takes to tell, I was calling her Lois, and she was calling me Sam over cocktails for two. And that's all I know about it. I didn't think anything about his taking his correspondence out of the files. He often took work home with him. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you saw him? Oh, it's been nearly six weeks. You haven't heard from him in all that time? Mm. He was with Mr. Fox just before he left. They had a terrible quarrel. But then Mr. Grayson managed to get him calmed down, and they left the office together. And that's the last time you saw Grayson, huh? Yes, and it's all very strange. What did that maniac tell you? That Grayson swiped his invention. Do you believe that? I didn't even believe in the invention. Now I'm beginning to think it was worth stealing. Oh, Mr. Grierson wouldn't... He's a brilliant man, you know. Uh, what else has he invented? Well, I don't know. He always had a lot of projects, but... Of course, he never took me into his confidence. Just exactly what is your job? Oh, it's quite simple, really. I just tell people he isn't in. Yeah. Look, uh, sweetheart, you really mean to tell me it never occurred to you that there might be something slightly fishy about Grayson Enterprises? I know. Why should it? Because there's a smell of red herring up there. It's in the air. You mean Mr. Grayson's a crook? Well, what does that make me? Worry that out on his time. Drink up. 
She looked as if she were telling the truth. Though with women, especially blue-eyed women, that doesn't always mean anything. If she had anything more to tell, she obviously wasn't ready yet to tell it. I asked her to come up and listen to my Herb Jeffries records. She said my apartment needed a woman's touch. I handed her a broom. She hit me on the head with it and left. And so to bed. Up the times and phoned my client. He wasn't in. Then I phoned a guy I know who sometimes knows about things and asked him what sodium denadrine was. He said it was a sedative and or a truth serum, a mental-type drug. I wondered what Grierson had been using it for during office hours. I also wondered what else he'd been spending money for. I phoned another guy who knows about other things, and he called me back with the name of Grierson's bank, Golden Gate Trust. An hour later, to my surprise, I actually had something to go on. Because in the past six weeks, checks totaling 50,000 bucks had been deposited to Grierson's account, all drawn on the Citrus Exchange Bank of San Anselmo, and all bearing the signature of one Carl Birdwell, M.D. He wasn't hard to find. It was a big place on the outskirts, and the sign on the gate said, Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged. Dr. Birdwell's cottage was one of five without bars on the windows. He was spraying his roses. Ah! Joe, that's cystidectomy of Dr. Kobler's. How are those convulsions? Uh, Coordination all right? I can't complain. Got the use of your fingers back? Good. Pick up those shears. I want all those ragged edges. Cut off the hedges. Well, why don't you uh, hire a gardener out of those uh, checks to Grierson and use up all your ready cash? Eh? Uh, I thought you were the cystidectomy. Good Lord, you're that convolutional melancholiac. You're not allowed out on the grounds. Guard! Guard! Now, wait a minute, Doctor. Matter. This one acting up. Take him back. I sent for the cystidectomy. This is the wrong man. You're huh? crazy. Come Don't on. Let go of me. I'm not a patient here. I'm a detective. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Sherlock Holmes. Come on, now back to the violent war. Come on, lay off. I got an office in San Francisco. I can prove it. 137596. Okay, Dr. Watson, but come on, come on. You know who that guy is right there, uh, bro? Not Howard Duff, the guy that was taking Howard Duff away. That's no. Joseph. Joseph currently got talking to the microphone. It only works no. that way. Um, <laughs> um, you remember Dennis the Menace? Remember I that do. show? Remember yes. Mr. Wilson, his next door neighbor? Oh, yeah, Mr. That's Wilson. That's who that is right there. Oh, really? Joseph Kearns. Yeah. Right, we're listening to The Adventures of Sam's. My brother thinks you can talk like five feet away from the microphone and it'll, it'll work. So we just learned you something. I guess I was wrong. Curly. From the Three Stooges. We're listening to the Mad Scientist Caper on the Adventures of Sam Spade from 1948. We'll get right back to it. Stick around. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of their radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour holiday with 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. The digital links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities whenever you'd like. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Don't forget, folks, the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show is available via podcast link, along with Radio Rarities, which is our brand-new podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host, where we break down very rare classic radio show. We had a great one, Mike, last week. It was called Satan's Waiting. It was the only episode that exists from the series, and a very cool series like um, like the Whistler-type radio show, and we uh, featured it on Radio Rarities, episode 13. Yeah, it was really cool. I'd never heard of the title, well, yeah. and I... You know, it, obviously, that's that's the only one that the exists. The Prince right? of Darkness is the host, bro. On it, it was very uh, creepy, and um, yeah, really creepy series. But it's the only one that exists. There's only it was only there was only 13 episodes ever produced, and that's the only one that is available. And it's we have it in great sound, and we put it on Radio Rarities. Carl Shadow is the writer of the podcast. He's a tremendously talented archivist and writer and historian. And so he writes what we talk about, and it's very detailed. And every episode on Radio Rarities is a very rare show, and we talk about it. And that's also part of the podcast. So if you subscribe to the Hollywood 360 podcast, you will also get Radio Rarities included. Every Monday it's sent right to your email. You can listen to it. Links never expire. Go to Hollywood360radio.com, Hollywood360radio.com. Very top of the website is how you can sign up for the Hollywood 360 podcast, and you'll get radio rarities along with it. All right, we're listening to Sam Spade, the mad scientist caper. Here's the conclusion. And in more time than it takes to tell, due to the guard's jujitsu, I was disrobed, straight-jacketed, and rolled into a wet sheet. A full-fledged inmate of the Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged which is exactly where I belong for having taken Mr. Fox's 25 bucks. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, how does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. And no wonder. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms the hair neatly and naturally, relieves annoying dryness, and removes loose dandruff. What's more, non-alcoholic wild root cream oil is the only leading hair tonic that contains soothing lanolin. So ask for wild root cream oil hair tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use wild root cream oil too. And mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. And now, back to the mad scientist caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I have been shot, stabbed, slashed, pistol whipped, and sapped into unconsciousness. But until you have spent a night rolled up in a wet sheet, Dundee, you don't know what punishment is. 
You feel hot and cold at the same time. Too miserable to sleep, too exhausted to stay awake. And after four hours of it, you just give up and join the crazies pushing up the daisies. There's only one thing I can say in favor of the Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the mentally deranged. They get the patients up early. By 6.30 in the a.m., I had been rolled out of the sheet. By quarter of seven, I had thawed out enough to be taken out of the straitjacket by an orderly. I was glad to be out of it because it was very heavy, and that gave me an idea. I picked it up and swung it. In less time than it takes to tell, I was in the orderly's uniform, out of the violent wing, and shuffling up the walk through Dr. Birdwell's rose garden and through his cottage door. Good morning, Dr. Birdwell. Good, good Lord, who let you in here? What do you want? I was trying to tell you yesterday when I was so rudely interrupted. Hey? Oh, yes, the detective. Did you say Grierson sent you? I didn't say that. I'm afraid you'll have to be absolutely specific or I can't help you. All right. My client is an inventor who claims that Mr. Grierson stole a formula from him, got a patent on it, and stands to profit to the tune of about a million bucks. The last two items check. I don't know whether Grierson's a crook or not. He's into you for 50,000 bucks, so you might know. Uh, this inventor. Pale eyes, contracted pupils, big mop of hair. That's a fair description. Fox. Raymond Fox. He's a patient. Escaped from this hospital. That man, Mr. Spade, is a homicidal maniac. If you'll jog your memory, you may recall the case. Sacramento, 1935. Sacram... Wait a minute. Chemistry professor, lab explosion? That's the case. Two of his colleagues, whom he irrationally suspected of stealing the formula for the explosive he used to blow them up. You sure they didn't? The man was adjudged hopelessly insane. He must be returned to us. He may murder Grierson, he may murder you. But he will commit a murder if he remains at large. Perhaps more than one murder. You must help us, Spade. Like you, Doctor, I can't help unless you're absolutely specific about a couple of things. Your connection with Grierson, for instance. I invested in Grierson's firm. Uh-huh. How did Fox meet Grierson? He was allowed a certain degree of freedom here during his rational periods. I, I guess that he went through my papers or overheard one of my conversations with Mr. Grierson. Mm-hmm. Did you know he retained a lawyer? Hmm? Manning, smart patent lawyer. You must think Fox has a case. Oh, surely not. Grierson thinks so, too. You've talked to Grierson? No, but I've examined his bank statements. The bank allowed that? I told him I was Grierson's attorney. The point is, Grierson is broke. Why? Because he's paid out every penny you gave him to the order of Roscoe Manning, attorney at law. And you know what I think, doctor? Yes? I think Raymond Fox is crazy like a fox. <laughs> I had the same idea about Dr. Birdwell, but I didn't say so. I didn't feel up to spending another night in a wet sheet. I also didn't feel up to the interview that was awaiting me outside the gates. A limousine, only a little longer than a hearse, was standing at the curb. A round pink head with a gray Homburg on it bobbed out at me from the driver's seat and said, Mr. Spade? Yeah? Roscoe Manning, how'd you do? About 49975 bucks less than you've done in the caper so far. <laughs> the law is a lucrative profession, my boy. <laughs> Get in. I'll drive you back to town. No charge? Yeah, uh, I'll even give you some free advice, sans retainer. <laughs> well, sir, <coughs> you are an elusive chap. I've had the devil's own time catching up with you. How did you? I won't ask why. Well, I am not without resources. 
Now, uh, as to our mutual client, Mr. Fox, uh, obviously you've learned a good deal about him. Dr. Birdwell says he's cuckoo, and it's only a toss-up which one of us he's going to blow up first. Uh, just about what you'd expect from a medical man. If you'd listen to as much conflicting medical testimony in court as I have, you'd take them all with a grain of salt. Or should I say, soda mint. Or uh, sodium denadrine? That's a mysterious remark. I was just trying it on for size. It didn't fit. Mm -hmm. Well, sir, here is my proposition. As to Fox's sanity, it's of no importance. He has money, and I think he has a case. We can always get a doctor to say he's back in his right mind. Where do I fit into your scheme? You just keep looking for Grierson. And uh, watch that secretary of his. I don't trust her. Anything else? Oh, I, I almost forgot. Here's $500, and here's your ticket to Chicago. I don't know why, but somehow I got the impression that Mr. Manning was trying to get rid of me. He should have used that ticket to Chicago himself. We stopped at Sausalito for breakfast, and the condemned man ate a hearty meal. We drove the last mile through the marina district and pulled up in front of his house. Well, sir, have a nice trip. Or uh, take the car, Mr. Spade. I'll pick it up at the depot. Uh, goodbye. It's been charming. Goodbye. He backed across the sidewalk, waving, and I waved back. Then he went up three steps, put a key in his door, and opened it. It didn't do much damage to the house, but all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Roscoe Manning back together again. Got out of the car and just made it up the steps when it happened again. I hated the look, but I did. Where the limousine had been parked with me in it was a smoking heap of scrap metal. I then headed for the nearest phone booth and pausing only to inspect it for mines and booby traps, dialed the number of Grierson Enterprises. Grierson Enterprises. Lois, Sam Spade. Sam, darling, thank you for the present. What present? I haven't had a chance to open it yet, but I think I can guess what it is. A traveling clock. You mean a package arrived and it ticks? Oh, darling, don't be such a tease. Now, Lois, listen. Oh, all right, I'll open it now. Throw it out the window. No, don't do that, pedestrians, innocent bystanders. Uh, have you got a metal wastebasket there? I think so, yes. Well, fill it up with water and throw the package into it. And ruin my lovely clock? It is not a lovely clock. It's a lovely booby trap. Oh, go on. I'm You're... serious. Manning just got one of them, and what's left of him is on the way to the morgue. Lois! Lois! Wake up! Pour some water on yourself! Hello! Hello! Let me through here. Come on, let me through. Lois! Lois! Oh, you're okay. Glad of that. All right, she's all right now, you people. Come on, get out of here. She's all right! Come on, get up. You're not hurt. It exploded in the water. At least you had sense enough to do what I told you to. Oh, this was a new dress. Now look at it. It looks fine here. Put this coat around you. I don't think that was a very funny joke, Sam. Neither do I. Now, uh, try and forget your clothes for a minute. And try and answer a few questions for me. There isn't much time. Sam, what is it? I want you to be very sure of this, Lois. Try and remember accurately. How many people has grass and scenes as he opened this office? Well, not very many. It was hardly ever in. It's strange. Now that I think of it, I can only remember two. Mr. You... Manning and that... Mad scientist man, Mr. Fox. Yeah, did you hear any of the conversation between Grierson and Fox? Uh, he just screamed at Mr. Grierson about how his invention had been stolen from him. 
Then it sounded as if they scuffled, and all of a sudden, Mr. Fox calmed down. Mm -hmm. When they came out, his eyes looked funny, as if he'd been hypnotized. Yeah. Uh, what does uh, Grayson look like? Oh, he must have been quite handsome at one time. He's sort of like Gregory Peck with a mustache, only fatter and balder and older. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put it exactly like that, but I can see what you mean. But you've never seen him. Don't make book on it, but I think I have. I made three phone calls. One to a crime reporter I don't like very well, giving him a false story on the death of Lois, Grierson's secretary. Another to my client, the mad scientist, alias Raymond Fox, and one to Dr. Birdwell. Then I went to my apartment and waited. My client arrived five minutes before the doctor. When Birdwell came in, my client said, Aha! That's he! He stole my secret formula. Oh, now, Raymond, you're getting confused again. No! I'm the doctor, don't you remember? Th th that's not true. Your name is Grierson. Oh, he's much worse. He's identification. You must try to remember, Raymond. Nobody's going to hurt you. But you'll be much sicker if you don't remember. But I do remember. I remember everything. Do you remember setting the bombs at Manning's house and the one you sent to Mr. Grierson's office? No, 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 no. Grierson isn't dead. You're Grierson. No, Grierson isn't dead. Only that poor girl. No, no, no. She didn't steal my formula. It, it was you. Oh, you're trying to mix me up. I'm trying to help you. Now, roll up your sleeve. I'll give you something to quiet no. your nerves and we'll go back to the hospital. Put it away, doctor. You've helped them enough. Huh? Now, look here. This man is my patient. He needs medical attention. I won't argue with you, but I think he'd better get it from some other doctor. Right now, he's making more sense than you are. Ha. Just ha. keep on the way you're going, Spade, and I'll have you back in that wet sheet. I did it once, and I can do it again. Sit down. You got delusions of grandeur. Stop shaking, Raymond. I said you're making more sense than he is, and I can prove it. You think you're very astute, don't you? No, I'm stupid, but I'm lucky. I should have tumbled to the whole caper when I found that you'd invested 50,000 smackers in Grierson Enterprises. When I found out that Raymond was an escaped patient, I should have tumbled to what that denadrine vial was doing in Grierson's desk. I should have known then that you and Grierson were one and the same person. <laughs> I, I, I told when you. When I discovered that you'd paid Manning all that shakedown money, I should have known you were planning to knock him off and everybody else who could identify you. But it didn't work out that way. I got out of the car before it blew up. Dumb luck. And you can identify me as Grierson? I don't have to. <laughs> oh, God. Surely you're not counting on Raymond's sanity to that extent. He can't even remember that I was his doctor. Can you, Raymond? You're trying to mix me up. You stole my formula. I didn't kill them, did I, Mr. Spade? Now lie down on the couch and relax, Raymond. Don't worry about a thing. <laughs> well, doctor, what now? You relax, too. Okay, Lois, come on in. What? Lois! Why, Mr. Grierson, have you been sick? How dare you? How dare you ruin all my plans like this? You stupid girl! Oh, oh, oh. Okay, that's enough. Come on, get back there. Get back. Sorry, sweetheart. I didn't mean to let him get that close to you. What were you trying to do? It was an experiment, just to see what would happen. It did. So that's the way you scientific detectives work. For a hard-boiled chap, you have the vaguest way of doing things I ever heard of. Well, uh... Plans are all right sometimes, Doctor, and sometimes just stirring things up is all right if you're tough enough to survive and keep your eyes open so you see what you want when it comes to the top or something. Uh, Spade, Dundee, I'm at home. I've uh, got two homicidal characters here, one sane and one insane. Now, if you can tell the difference, I'll let you give the story to the papers.
And that, Lieutenant, there is the crop. You uh, picked the wrong one. Figures? It's as simple as this. Raymond Fox was the loony, but Birdwell, alias Grierson, conceived and executed the whole scheme, including the explosions. Don't worry about Fox. He's now back at the hospital working on a new secret formula. I don't know what it is, but it might be an anti-truth serum serum, because that's how Birdwell got the Penetron formula, by using truth serum on the mad scientist to make him talk. Any way you figure it, he's crazy like a fox. His enemies are all dead or on their way, and he's as snug as a rug in a bug house. Period. End of Looney Tune. Well, of all... Well, just imagine. Well, it takes all sorts to make a world, I guess. Well, I guess you never spoke a truer word, Effie, but don't forget a stitch in time saves nine. Don't feel too badly about it, Sam. Better late than never. You took the words right out of the horse's mouth, but it's later than you think, Angel. Type that up, Angel, and while you're at it, see if you can think up a way to teach an old dog new tricks. Well, here it is, Sam. And I've been thinking over what you said. Which? About teaching an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. You're only as old as you feel, Sam. Then send in the application for my old age pension. Oh, Sam, I won't let you talk that way now. You're just tired and nervous and run down. Yeah, backaches, stay up nights, sour racket. You're just feeling sorry for that Mr. Fox. I wouldn't worry about him. As you pointed out, he's safer where he is for all concerns. Mm-hmm. And after all, necessity is the mother of invention. What's that got to do with anything? Well, he's an inventor, isn't he? Oh, that. You see? All's well that ends well. Good night, Sam. Good night, Pollyanna. Pollyanna. Oh, she's the glad girl. Oh, no, Sam, that's Shakespeare, that old... You know best. All ashore that's going ashore. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Dove. Loreen Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spear's absence. Join us again next Sunday for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again... The choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Get Wild Root right away. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That is The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, one of the best detective shows on the air, bar none. July 25th, 1948, The Mad Scientist Caper, starring Howard Duff as Sam Spade with Loreen Tuttle as his secretary, Effie Perrine, as heard on CBS, sponsored by Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie, it keeps your hair so nice. Hey, bro, when you were younger, did you ever use, like, any Brill Cream or Wild Root Cream uh, Oil or anything I like that? I didn't use Brill Cream, but I I did use something. I, I, I don't recall what it was. Was it Wild Root Cream uh, I Oil? Vitalis? Was oh, Vitalis. Vitalis, yeah, so we So what had. was the deal with that in the 50s and 60s? And, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, was... what was the deal? You would just take this stuff and put it in your hair and it would be all 
all slippery and slick. Yeah, and- you know, back then, you know, you had uh, like the DAs. You know, you know what the DA What's a was? DA? No. Well, the duck's butt. You know, oh. in other words, duck. You know, oh, ducktail or something. Yeah, like that? it was like the guys had the like the DA in the back, and, and you, they would put you that. Needed to have some kind of a. Ugh. Something in your hair to to be able to do that, you yeah. Know, and, you know, like Cookie Burns and yeah, you know. Ugh. No thanks. Yeah, Vitalis. No thanks. No thanks. A little dabble, do ya? And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, we're gonna see how my brother does at learning the lyrics, uh, bro. I'm gonna have three songs, and I'm going to read the lyrics of the songs to you, and I'm not going to sing them. I'm going to I'm going to read them like I was reading, you know, anything. Okay. And uh, you have to guess the name of the song, and I will tell you this. Every one of the songs starts with the letter B, so be thinking of songs that start with a B. Okay. And we'll do that to, to start out the next hour. We're also going to tune into a true crime mystery called Whitehall 1212. It was a, uh, a very good series uh, in the early 1950s. So that's all coming your way. Stay tuned. And now... For the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Ness attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to, and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the tantalizing Lisa Wolf, but she's under the weather, so my co-host tonight is my crabby brother, Vince Amari. In this hour, it's a true crime case solved by Scotland Yard on Whitehall 1212 from 1952. But first, I will be your lyricist for learning the lyrics. I will read popular song lyrics, and my brother will try to guess the name of the songs while you play along at home. Sound good, bro? Sounds good. All right, now, all of these songs, there's three songs, they all start with the letter B, okay? Okay. All very popular songs, like top hit songs. So put your thinking cap on. Done. All right, I'm going to read you uh, the first song lyrics here. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? How many seas must a white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? 
Yes, and how many times must the cannonballs fly before they're forever banned? The answer, my friend, is blown in the wind. Oh, my gosh. How many roads must a man walk down? Wow, I'm impressed. Before you call him a man. I'm impressed. For a guy who doesn't know song titles, or so he claims. Yeah, he claims. Hey, I could fake it, can't I? Before she sleeps in the sand. Wow, I'm really impressed. How many times must the cannonballs fly? I didn't get it until the very last yeah? You got to talk into the microphone. The answer is, that's how I got it. I mean, he can get the songs, but he doesn't know to talk into the microphone. <laughs> and here's a guy that was a singer in a band. My brother was a singer in a band. Don't you know you can't, you have to sing into the microphone, I bro. guess. I guess. You should know that by now. Well, maybe that's why I never made it singing in the band, because I was not singing you know in the microphone. Hey, Mike, you know what his number one hit was? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of it right now. I, I... He had a hit. My, my brother had a hit. It's called Bird Turd. Right, <laughs> right. Bird Turd. Bird Turd. Bird Turd. It's on your window. It's on your car. All right, so uh, Bob Dylan would probably take that song and make a hit out of it. Probably. Bro. All right, prob- probably. Probably. Why okay. haven't you taken it, Carl, and made a well, hit out of it? Well, I can't sing. My brother's actually a darn good singer. All right, he's got one, and I, you know, two out of three ain't bad. You know, as uh, I got to get said. one more then. All right, I think you're gonna get. I think you're gonna get at least this one for sure. All I right. think you're gonna get all of them. Really? Wow. All right. Here we go. Song number two. In the day we sweated out on the streets, on a runaway American dream. All night we ride through the mansions of glory in suicide machines. Sprung from cages on Highway 9, chrome-wheeled, fuel-injected, and stepping out over the line. Oh, baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's a death trap. It's a suicide rap. We got to get out while we're young. Because tramps like us, baby, born to run. He did it again, Mike. He did it again. Springsteen. Suicide machines Sprung from cages on Highway 9 Chrome wheel fuel injected And stepped it out over the line Oh, baby, this town rips the bones from your back It's a death trap It's, it's a suicide, suicide rap We gotta get out while we're young Cause trans like us Baby, we were born to run Oh, yeah. That's the boss right there. Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run, one of his biggest hits. Uh, tremendous song. Mm-hmm. And my brother, he's uh, he's got two out of two. Out of two. 
two out of two, Mike. He's pretty darn good at these games. I know. What do you think? Is he going to get this one, too? I think so. I see here. Um, Thanks yeah. for the confidence, Mike. Yeah, he's going to get this one. Yeah, he'll get this one, I'm pretty sure. All right, so he's two for two. Here's the third song of the evening. Starts with a B. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came. Down in the hollow, playing a new game. Laughing and a-running. Hey, hey. Skipping and a-jumping. In the misty morning fog. With our, our hearts a-thumping and you. And then the uh, the next the thing title. is the title. Oh, God. It's, it's Should good. I skip it and then go to something yeah. else? Yeah. I'll skip it. To Tuesday and so slow, going down the old mine with a transistor radio, standing in the sunlight, laughing, hiding, Behind a rainbow's wall, slipping and sliding all along the waterfall with you. The waterfall with and then the title. Brown-Eyed Girl. Van Morrison. Yeah, Brown-Eyed Girl. When the rains came Down in the hollow Three for three, Mike Playing Good job team. Man, I'm impressed Laughing and running Hey, hey Skipping and jumping In the misty morning Fog with Oh Our hearts are thumping And you My brown-eyed girl And you Brown-eyed girl. Wow. Three out of three. Man, I tell you. You know what, bro? Yeah? Next time I uh, co-host, make them a little harder for, you know what I mean? Make them a little harder. (laughs) Will do. No, I'm just kidding. Will do, bro. Hey, great job. Wow. Thank you. Man, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I will say that. My brother Vince got all three right. Oh, man. Okay, when we come back, we're going to tune into a true crime case on Whitehall 1212, so stay with us. You remember when we used to sing? More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. It's got my confirmation because on the break I ordered uh, my Mies meals. Lisa ordered hers and Mike ordered his. And, okay, we've got our confirmation. Barbecue chicken is one of them. Steak Florentine, I'm guessing that is for Mikey. Sounds about right. Barbecue pizza was Lisa. And then I got chicken franchise. And um, let me tell you, I've had, I, I ordered chicken franchise once before. It was fabulous. Folks, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's our uh, sponsor, Me's Meals. They're amazing. And I mean amazing. Every single week for almost a year now, 
Lisa, myself, and Mike have been ordering meals from Me's Meals because they come all chopped and uh, prepped and ready to go, all washed and clean. And you get a little um, index card in there that tells you how to uh, how to cook it. It takes about 15 minutes to cook the food. You get everything you need. And um, you have a gourmet meal on the table in, like, less than 20 minutes. It's amazing. They have the best chefs. They do all the work for you. They do all the buying of the food for you, all of that. And it comes right to your home. It's all wrapped really uh, airtight and in uh, dry ice. And they deliver it to almost anywhere in the United States. I think it's like 90-plus percent of the United States you can get Mies Meals. And uh, my brother also gets Mies Meals. And one of the things he was really surprised about was you don't have to sign up to any subscription. You can just order whenever you want. And if this week you're out of town and you don't want to order, you just don't. But, folks, go to their website. Check it out. Every week they put up new meals for you. Mies Meals, M-E-E-Z, meals.com. And when you order your very first time, you get 50% off by using the promo code CARL at checkout. 50% off. Don't forget to use the promo code CARL. Go to Mies, M-E-E-Z, meals.com. I promise you, you'll love it. So many people have learned about Mies Meals from our show. I get uh, emails and texts all the time. Thank you, thank you for telling me about Mies Meals. We're happy to do it. We love them as a sponsor, and we love their food. And you know what? The, the one thing I'm really happy about is I've never been disappointed at the quality of the ingredients. Oh, it's And great. I've tried other other subscription yeah. kind of services. Yeah. And I've always had some kind of an issue. Yeah, no, it's and this super is the fresh. only this Mies Meals is the the only place where I've I've never gotten anything that came in bad. No, it's always super always fresh. super fresh. Yeah, and it's just, it's just great, folks. Just try it. MiesMeals.com, promo code Carl fifty percent off. You will love it. All right, it's great for people on the go. Absolutely. All right, it's time now for Whitehall one two one two true crime series. That came to radio in 1951, and it was a lot like the Black Museum, as Mike has said. Um, great stories, and these were all true. Here's an April 27, 1952 episode called The Case of Francesca Nicholson. Here's Whitehall 1212. Whitehall 1212. This is Scotland Yard. For the first time in history, Scotland Yard opens its official files to bring you the authentic, true stories of some of its most baffling cases. These are the true stories, the plain, unvarnished facts, just as they occurred, reenacted for you by an all-British cast. Only the names of the participants have for obvious reasons been changed. The stories are presented with the full cooperation of Scotland Yard. Research on Whitehall 1212 is furnished through Percy Hoskins of the London Daily Express. The stories for radio are written and directed by Willis Cooper. Listen now to Chief Superintendent John Davidson, curator of Scotland Yard's famous Black Museum, for a briefing on case number 270809. Good afternoon. I hope you don't think that we're mere souvenir collectors here in the Black Museum. 
We do collect articles that have figured in many of the crimes we have solved. But we have better reasons for doing so than the morbid satisfaction of gloating over them. They form a kind of criminal compendium, not of how to do murder, but how murder has been done. And the items we have on our shelves here fall into several categories. Illustrations of motives, demonstrations of methods and means, and examples of the mistakes that caused the murderer's arrest and punishment. Of course, we have these souvenirs from other types of cases, but the reputation of the Black Museum rests largely upon the predilection of the human race for violence and unlawful death. If you're contemplating this oldest of crimes, bear in mind the fact that here at Scotland Yard, we have thousands of reminders of the hopelessness of it. And change your mind before the hangman says to you, stand here, please, as he did to the man who owned this dark gray shirt. Yes, that's blood on it. Some of it is his. Chief Inspector Eric Lincoln solved that case. Number 270-809. I'll ask him to take over. John, you're always quoting a verse from the Bible about the wicked fleeing when no man pursueth. Proverbs 28th chapter, first verse. And what happens when the wicked stand still and all men pursue it? You can't pursue a man that's standing still, Eric. But when he joins the pursuit, he stumbles over the last man in the race, John. No, who's the last man? The hangman. Francesca Nicholson had been missing nearly a week when Peter St. John, of a well-known London evening newspaper laid the packet of photographs on my desk. She's not particularly pretty, is she? She was not particularly pretty. Too tall. Mm, five foot nine and a half. Wears eyeglasses. You tell me her eyes are blue and quite pretty. Like a gazelle's, this fellow said. i never seen a gazelle. Gazelles have brown eyes. Hmm. Quite prominent teeth. Like a horse's, aren't they? Well... You think she'd, she'd not be too hard to find? I should say so. Well, they haven't found her. What's her name, Nicholson? Uh, Nicholson, yes, sir. Francesca Nicholson. Mm -hmm. Lived with her mother in Kensal Rise. Had her hair done one day, put on a new dress, packed a small attache case, and bunged off. Not to return. I can read, Peter. Oh, sorry. How old is she? Uh, 26, it says there. Sorry. Quite right, sir. Been rowing with her mother? Me? The girl, fool. <laughs> mother assured me that they were on the best of terms. Maybe mother was telling a whopper. Maybe mother beat her. Don't think so, sir. The neighbors are on Kensal Rise. They, they're pretty pals here. The girl have any enemies? None discernible, sir. Boyfriend? One, the cove that discussed Gazelle's eyes. What's he like? I don't think he bathes often enough. Two front teeth missing, no eyebrows, dirty blonde hair... No great toe on his left foot. How do you know about his toes? He told me about them in detail. Where's he live? Crowborough, Sussex. Raises chickens down there. Lives in a sort of hut. The chickens? Chickens live in a much nicer place than he does. Sir. What's his opinion? He's sure the Mormons have got her. Mormons? <laughs> That's what the silly blighter said. Mormons don't kidnap people. They suggested that, so he changed his uh, mind. 
Said you might have had a nerve storm and wandered onto the moors and perished. What moors? Just moors in the middle of her nerve storm. Nerve storm? Is the man crazy? <laughs> well, as our American cousins say, I think he has a button or two missing. Seriously, though, he's frightfully upset about her disappearance. Tried to be helpful. That's where I got these photographs. How did he find out she was missing? You tell him? No. That she was, that's where she was headed for when she left home. Crowborough? Crowborough and the chicken farm. Why? We've been engaged for four years. Yes, she'll be married? Quiet. I don't know about her except what I hear, but he is genuinely in love with her. Tears as big as small hen's eggs appear every time he mentions her. Poor blighter. Well, what was... I mean, did she go to visit him often? Well, every few months, apparently. He used to stay with a family named Powers. The chicken farm's a mile or two outside the town. These Powers people, they know anything about all this? Well, they're quite mystified. They were expecting her, but she didn't show up. This boyfriend... What's his name? Tufty. Norman Tufty. He came into the Powers to greet her, and there she wasn't. Then he reported her missing? Not for three days. Hard to telegraph from Crowborough, I suppose, or hadn't the money or something. But he wrote a postcard to her mother, quite worried. You see the postcard? There it is, right there beside the photograph. Oh, yes. My own darling Francesca, where did you get to Saturday? I went to meet you, but did not turn up. I suppose you were detained unexpectedly for some reason. What's that word? Uh, devotedly, I think. Devotedly Norman. Doesn't seem very devoted. British understatement, old boy. Hmm. And when did he call the police? The same day? He didn't call the police himself. He... Oh, he didn't. It was the Powers. Mrs. Powers, who seems to be very nice, talked to a constable of the Sussex police she knows, and he came round to the chicken farm. You mean this devoted Norman didn't even do that much? Oh, he told me he was going to walk into the police station and tell them himself as soon as he'd finished feeding the chickens. Suppose he really would have been constable told me that our boy, Chicken Fancier, was quite annoyed when he called. Spoke quite sharply about people who stuck their long noses in his business. Aha, said the chief inspector. I twirled my moustache, too, when I heard that. Go on. Well, Mrs. Powers told me that Mr. Tufty came roaring in from the chicken farm, full of reproaches for her, because she told the constable that Miss Francesca was missing. Now, this thing's beginning to smell quite fruity, isn't it? He called Mrs. Powers certain unpleasant names. He owled, the lady said, like a hape. Huh. Mr. Powers heard the altercation and came up, threatening to dot him one, and Norman left in a towering but ineffectual rage. He's a little bit of a chap. The fruity odour increases. It'll presently suffuse the entire room. I called on Mr. Norman Tufty again to ask him a few civil questions. Mr. Tufty was out. I must have inadvertently snooped a bit in his absence. Mm, apprehensible. I thank him. In the course of my inadvertent snooping... I found this in a cupboard. Let's see it. Hmm. Envelope addressed to Norman Tufty Esquire, the chicken ranch. Ha! Near Crowborough, Sussex. So what? Have a look at the return address, Chief Inspector. Mrs. Norman Tufty. Might be his mother, old boy. He's an orphan. Smell anything now? All right, that's the first portion of Whitehall 1212. Whitehall 1212 was actually the exchange and telephone number of the Metropolitan Police Headquarters, or more simply, Scotland Yard. So it's almost like our 911, you know. They were uh, Whitehall 1212. 
This show was created by Willis Cooper, who also created Lights Out and uh, Quiet, Please. This was a completely American production. It was all done in Hollywood, but the actors were actually British, all British cast. So it really sounded like it was coming from across the pond, you know. Um, Good series, and uh, we will get back to this episode called The Case of Francesca Nicholson from April 27, 1952 on Whitehall 1212, so stick around. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of their radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour holiday Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. The digital links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities whenever you'd like. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. A little earlier, I was talking about Radio Rarity is a new podcast series that Lisa Wolf and I co-host together. Carl Shadow does a great job uh, writing it. And Mike Estella, who does not get enough credit, I'm telling you, Mike Estella produces it. And um, he not only produces Radio Rarities, he produces Hollywood 360 and um, what else do you do over there, Mike? What are you doing in the bathtub all the time? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at notes so I can teach classes. Oh, yeah. He also teaches I'm, at Columbia uh, College. And he also produces, uh, he really puts together the Classic Radio Club, too. That's why all the quality is. But, Mike, you don't get enough credit. And I just want to acknowledge you um, that you're really, even though you take a lot of baths, a lot of baths. Whether, baths. whether I need them or not. Yeah, he takes one. He takes one every other day, whether he needs to or not. But um, you really you do a great job, Mike. I just want you to know that um, you're very much appreciated, not by just me, but by our listeners. They love hearing these shows in pristine quality, and that's Mike Costella for you. So, Mike, kudos to you. Thank you. Happy to do it. Yeah, I mean, really great job. And he's been doing this for a long time. Pretty, he even does it in his sleep. He can even do this. He's actually mixing these shows while he's sleeping. And actually, he helps keep we, the genre alive. He does. We we have these collections that you're having me process. And yeah. actually last night, my computer was running doing while, some While work. you were doing a little sleeping? While I was sleeping. Well, that's good. Yeah, see, that's so I'm right. He, he's even producing these shows while he's sleeping. But, um, you know, I was talking a little earlier about Radio Rarities and how uh, last week's show, which came on the podcast, so if you, so everybody, your Monday podcast, if you get the podcast, make sure you listen to the Radio Rarities. It's at the end of the five-hour show, and it is a very unique program, a scary show called Satan's Waitin' 
very interesting program, and we go into a lot of detail about it. And we had, I, I was talking about it, and four or five people texted me and said, man, that was really cool. That was a really awesome broadcast. We have some amazing shows coming your way. We, we are just, you know, we're culling through the library and finding these rare and unique you know, pilot episodes and shows that have big name stars or the the star of the show was missing and someone else took their place because they had a, you know, missed the show for whatever reason. There's all of the these reasons why they're rare and interesting, and they're all coming your way on Radio Rarities. So, folks, if you want to get the Radio Rarities podcast in Hollywood 360, sign up. It's uh, it's uh, all there at Hollywood360radio.com, hollywood 360 Radio.com. Sign up. The links never expire. They're yours forever. All right. We're listening to Whitehall 1212 from April 27th, 1952. Here's the conclusion. After receiving permission from the Sussex Chief Constable, I went to Crowborough and Peter Sinjin with me. I found a small room at the local hotel, the Pied Merlin, whilst Peter took the other one. After breakfast the next morning, the worst I ever ate in my life, we tramped out to the chicken farm. Mr. Norman Tufty kicked at a hungry hen who was investigating the contents of a peak green biscuit in near the door of the hut and walked towards us. Peter Sinjin hadn't exaggerated when he spoke of Tufty's disregard for baths. He reminded me of a crafty pig. He smiled an unpleasant gap-toothed smile at Peter. Oh ho! Oh ho, Mr. Tufty. It's the journalist, fella. You remember me? Snooper. Asking questions. Uh, may I present... I don't want to know no more of your ilk, mister. What do you want now? I was interested in what you might have heard of your fiancé, Mr. Tufter. Think I murdered her? Just trying to pick up any news. Well, I haven't heard anything, mister. No news at all? Give you a spot of news for half a crown. Done. What's the news? I killed her. Oh, did you? Killed her dead. Buried her, too. Where, Mr. Tufty? Uh, see where that old black hand's scratching? There by the old tree stump. Ah, that's the place. Dug a hole and buried her deep. Well, tell me how you killed her, Mr. Tufty. <laughs> Hit her over the head with the axe. <laughs> she didn't half bleed. <laughs> that her blood on your shirt, Mr. Tufty? Who's this fella? This, Mr. Tufty, is Chief Inspector Lincoln of Scotland Yard. <laughs> well, blimey. <laughs> Let's give it out as good as you get. <laughs> That's rich, that is. <laughs> Chief Inspector of Scotland Yard. <laughs> that is funny, isn't it? <laughs> You're a funny blatter, Sinjin. <laughs> Chief Inspector Scotland Yard, that's good. <laughs> Say, who are you? Another one of those journalist chaps or what? As a matter of fact, sir, I am Chief Inspector Lincoln of Scotland Yard. <laughs> Bit of all right, man. <laughs> Even talks like a Scotland Yard bloke right out of the cinema. <laughs> and here's my card. <laughs> You're not going to arrest me, are you, sir? I... This is an awful thing, sir. Me making a fool of myself this way. I thought you was joking, too. Uh, it wasn't a very good joke, Mr. Tufty. Well, I hardly know what to say, sir. I know it was a terrible thing to say. And my poor darling Francesca missing like this. 
I'm surprised you can make jokes at all. I'm, I'm not ashamed of myself, Mr. Sinjin. And you too, Chief Inspector Lincoln, sir. Making such jokes about my poor darling Francesca. <laughs> but, but nobody knows if she's, if she's laying dead in the fields or held prisoner by a band of white slavers. Oh, come, come, Tufty. <laughs> Scotland Yard will find her, Tufty. I don't think so. Of course we will. <laughs> oh, do find my darling Chief Inspector. Go out and search the highways and the byways and, and bring her safe back to me, sad. Maybe she's run down by some hit-and-run driver and, and lost a memory. Calm yourself, <laughs> Mr. Tufty. <laughs> oh, put a sock in it. Hold your tongue, you nasty sod, you. Look here, Oaf, you hold your own filthy tongue or I'll stuff it on your throat, you. Stop him. Stop him, Chief Inspector. He'll murder me. He'll kill me. Stop it. Stop it, Peter. I'm sorry. Well, stop him, Chief Inspector. Shut up. Get back to your chicken, Stuffy. But, sir... I'll talk to you later without Mr. Sinjin. Come on, Peter. But, but, Chief Inspector... We'll find your Francesco all right, Tufty. Speaking of smells, my dear Chief Inspector, what a towering stink Mrs. Norman Tufty will raise if and when you do. You suppose that bar is open at the Pied Merlin? What we both need is a glass of beer. Oh, preferably two. was open, and the beer, by contrast with the breakfast, was reasonably satisfactory. Peter swilled down his first glass and set it down. And what do you make of that, my dear Watson, inquired Holmes? The man's crackers. <laughs> Bad as a hatter. More beer, please, miss. He doesn't like you, does he? Well, score one all. I don't like him. You uh, porter fellows ask too many questions. I think that was why he told us that fairy story? No. What do you think? About the same as you think. Oh, thank you, miss. I'm of two minds. Are you? One, he's either insane... Probably. Or two, he's resorting to an old device which has been used successfully by better men than Norman Tufty, Esquire. Which is? Telling a half-truth in the hope that nobody will believe him. You think he killed the girl? You know, the Scotland Yard, Ben. I work for a living. There's a... There's a compulsion murderers sometimes feel to talk about the murder in a kind of elliptical fashion. Seem to enjoy seeing how far they can go without getting themselves caught. Remember that chap at Wembley who killed his mother? Remember? Always talking about things lying on the floor. Just like a dead woman, he kept saying to people. We hanged him. I reported the execution. Ah, oh, good morning, Constable. Morning, Miss Engine. Oh, yeah, there's a Scotland Yard gentleman here in the village, sir. Would you be him? This is Chief Inspector Lincoln, yes. Constable Ernest Busby, Chief Inspector. Morning, sir. Morning, Constable. You have a spot of pigs in, Constable? I'm on duty, sir. I was wondering, Chief Inspector, if you'd seen Mr. Norman Tufty yet. Yes, we saw him earlier this morning. 
I wonder why he didn't say anything to me about seeing you, sir. Oh, you've seen him this morning, too. I did that, sir. I trust he received you courteously. I was out that way, Chief Inspector. Matter of a dog had no license and... Stop by to inquire whether Mr. Tufty had any new information about his missing Miss Francesca. He was feeding the chicken? No, sir. He was digging an hole. <laughs> digging a hole, eh? Well, more properly, sir, filling up an hole. One of his ends had died of the pip, sir, and he was burying her. Sir, do you think he's dotty? Uh, uh, excuse me, insane, sir? Surely one buries chickens when they I die. He patted down pit. the ground with a spade, sir, and he looked up at me and he grinned at me kind of crazy-like, sir. And what did he say, Constable? Oh, I made a note of his exact words, sir. Just like I buried poor darling Francesca after I cut her up in pieces on the chopping block there. Pointing to the chopping block where he chops up the chicken's head, sir. <clears throat> oh. And then what, Constable? Well, sir, I admit I was horrified. I think you would be. Sir, if you please, I'm talking to the chief inspector. Forgive me. Forgive me. Uh, what did the man do, Constable? Sir, he bursted out laughing like a ruddy jackass. Uh, did you think he was dotty, sir? It's a compulsion, Constable. Is that actionable, sir? Unfortunately, no, Constable. Couldn't be if he keeps it up, couldn't it, chief inspector? We'll see. Oh, I almost forgot, sir. Forgot what? Violet! Why? I'm calling the young lady, sir. What young lady, Constable? Violet. Come in, please, Violet. Who's this? Uh, come on in, Violet. Now, these gentlemen won't hurt you. Uh, gentlemen, this is Miss Violet Ditkett. He was employed as a kennel maid by Colonel James Seymour, who raises Bedlington Terriers on the place uh, next to Mr. Tufty's. Morning to you, gentlemen. Morning. Oh, morning. Uh, Violet, is a bit of information I thought you might like to hear firsthand, Chief Inspector. Well, Miss Didkett? <laughs> oh, speak oh. up, Violet. Do. Well, I, I seen her, sir. Who, Miss Didkett? Speak up, Violet. Well, that, that there, Miss Francesca, sir. Miss Francesca Nicholson? Mm. When did you see her, Miss Didkett? Saturday, sir. Tell the chief inspector how it was, Violet. Well, sir, I was walking up the line to the kennels, and Miss Francesca comes hurrying along the bar road toward Mr. Tuffy's farm, and I see her, and she seen me, and she said, Hello, Violet, and I said, Hello, Miss Francesca, and she said, Have you seen Mr. Tuffy? And I said, No, and she said, Oh, there he is. Hello, darling, and I started to hurry faster, and I said, Goodbye, Miss Francesca, and when I come to the end of the line, she was walking along with him. What time was that Saturday, Miss Dickens? Oh, about uh, half after two on Saturday, sir. That's all she knows, sir, she told me. She was carrying one of the little suitcases, sir. An attache case? Oh, one of the little suitcases, sir, like a doll baby suitcase. Can I go now, Constable, please? Yeah, unless you wish to ask any more questions, Chief Inspector. No, you may go, Mr. Dickens. The doggies will be crying for their lunch, sir. Oh, by all means, let's not keep them from their lunch, Mr. Dickens. No, sir. They got pig's liver and skimmed milk. Thank you, sir. Goodbye, sir. She telling the truth, you think, Constable? Violet did get down now how to tell a lie, sir. She says she saw Miss Nicholson. She's seen her. What are you thinking so hard about, Peter? I'm wondering whose blood that is on Tufter's shirt. There's a 
gentleman out here to see the other gentleman, sir. Who, me? No, sir, the other gentleman, he said. Me? Yes, you, sir, the, the gentleman in the checkered jacket, he said, sir. Who is he, Ronald? It's Mr. Tuffy, sir. Oh. Go ahead, see what he wants now, Peter. Does uh, Tufty know that Violet saw... Uh, no, sir. I met her after I talked to him. She won't say anything, will she? To him, I mean. No, sir. I don't think so. She's rather shy. Being with dogs all the time. Besides, if she does, she knows I'll warm her bottom with a birch twig. Eh? She's my niece, sir. Uh, what do you think, Constable? About all this? Yes. Well, the nasty little beggar digs a very neat hole in the ground, sir. I shouldn't wonder if he's had practice. Here's Mr. Uh, what's his name, sir? Sinjin. He's a reporter. Oh. Well? What's he want? Miss, another beer, please. Yes, sir. Another pint, sir. Quite simple and quite to be expected, Chief Inspector. Oh, what? He wanted to know... Oh, thank you, Mr. Here, sir. Be sir. In fact, he offered to give my half-crown back if I'd tell him uh, what that Scotland Yard man was up to. Uh, oh? What he was going to do. Why don't you tell him? Well, I told him that you were coming out this afternoon with a gang of navvies and dig up his whole bloody farm, Chief Inspector. <laughs> I did not at once follow out the suggestion of Peter Singen, although I'd already made up my mind to find out whether Norman Tufty had been burying dead chickens or a dead woman. I wanted another talk with the man. I sent Constable Busby to bring him to the local police station where I could talk in an atmosphere more calculated to impress a man of Norman Tufty's type. He sat down opposite me, smelling of chickens. Don't you ever change your clothes, Tufty? I ask curiously. Haven't any clothes to change to, Chief Inspector. I'd like to check a little more on what you've told us, if you don't mind. I don't mind. All right. When did you last see Miss Francesca Nicholson? Five months ago. Where? At my farm. She came down from Kinsel Rise to visit me. Stayed in the village with Miss Powers, but she spent a great deal of time at my farm. You were engaged to be married. Right. You intended to marry her. Of course. She believed that, did she? She did. What did you do when she didn't show up on the Saturday when she was supposed to arrive? Why, well, I, I stayed around my farm and worked, then came into town and waited for her. I have found a witness who saw Miss Nicholson on that day. I don't believe it. And who saw her with you? I don't believe that either. You're trying to... Uh, trying to what, Mr. Tuffy? Yes? Uh, excuse me, sir. Yes, yes, Constable Busby. I've got it, sir. Thank you. You can get started, then. Right, sir. Busby, did you tell Chief Inspector you'd seen her that day? What's with he? me? It wasn't Constable Busby who saw you, Tuffy. Go on, Constable. I'll want to know what happened. Yes, sir. I know your police tricks. I, I, I interrupted you, Tuffy. <clears throat> what was it you were accusing me of when... Constable Busby, uh, you said I was trying something. Now, what am I trying to do to you? You're trying to make me talk. In my 
poor, benighted fashion, that is exactly what I'm trying to do, Tufty. It's quite legal, I assure you. I won't talk. I didn't do nothing. You've told two separate people that you murdered Miss Nicholson and buried her body. <laughs> I was having a joke with you. Oh, wasn't that, a, wasn't that joke in rather poor taste, Tufty? <laughs> I see you're still wearing that bloodstained shirt. It's my blood. I cut myself killing chickens. You seem to have bled a lot. Some of it, it's chicken blood. Well, I'm sure you wouldn't object to allowing our laboratory to examine the shirt, would you? Would you? You're trying to frame me up. <laughs> You've been reading crime novels. American crime novels. I'd like to tell you something, Tufty. Constable Busby came in here to tell me that he has obtained a search warrant. What for? You dig up your farm. Well, they won't find anything. I wonder. They won't. They'll be there in a few minutes. But I tell you, they won't find anything. Well, they'll try. If they have to dig up every inch of your farm. Beginning at that place where you said you were burying the chicken this morning. And progressing on to where you told Mr. Sinjin and me the body was buried, Tuffy. Listen. I don't hear anything. What do you think they'll find? The body of Francesca Nicholson. Well, well I didn't kill her. Who did? I love Francesca. Do you also love your wife? How do you know about her? You shouldn't let letters lie about. Yes. I love my wife. And is that why... Who is it? It is I, even I, Xerxes the king. What do you want, Peter? I want to show Mr. Tufty something. What? Something I found in a hole, Chief Inspector. Look, Mr. Tufty. What is that? After I get the dirt brushed off... You'll see that it's an attaché case. Where'd you get it? Where did you get it? It was in a shallow grave, Mr. Tufty, huh? where you said you were burying a chicken this morning. Oh, it's all quite legal, Chief Inspector. I was there with my spade poised when they brought the search warrant. And I came back here on a motor bicycle, which I rented. Very fast, Mr. Tufty. That was all I heard. Uh-huh. You heard me coming. Just take a look at the name on this attaché case. Francesca. Listen to me. Listen to me, Mr. Tufty. I arrest you on suspicion of murder. It'll take much more than suspicion, Mr. Chief Inspector Tiang Mi. Oh, don't worry about that, old boy. Constable Busby was digging up her left leg when I had to hurry away. On oh. suspicion of murder of Francesca Nicholson, I warn you that anything you say will be taken down in writing and may be used in evidence. I'd be glad to take it down, Tufty. I use a typewriter quite well. So speak up, old boy. When the attaché case that had belonged to Francesca Nicholson was unlocked and opened, it contained one article, an unfinished dress for a baby. That was why Norman Tufty murdered her. He already had a wife, and... He said at the trial that she had hanged herself at the farm when he told her he couldn't marry her, and the baby would have to be born without a name. <clears throat> it was easy to disprove that. The corpse's neck was not broken. But Norman Tufty's was most... Thoroughly, at Wandsworth Prison five weeks later, on a cold and foggy morning. Appearing today on Whitehall 1212 were Harvey Hayes, Horace Braham, Lester Fletcher, Morris Dallimore, Gordon Stern, and Patricia Courtley. Whitehall 1212 is written and directed by Willis Cooper. Uh -huh.
This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Whitehall 1212, April 27, 1952. The case of Francesca Nicholson. True crime case is heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more of Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Thanks for pitch hitting, bro. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're you. welcome. I was, my pleasure. All right. Next week, Boston Blackie, The Life of Riley, Frontier Gentleman, Dimension X, and Big Town. Uh, Lisa Wolf will be back next week. Thank you, Mike Costella, our executive producer. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening. Our uh, website, Hollywood360Radio.com. We'll see you next week.